Welcome back to the Tribute Games podcast. Tribute Games is an independent game studio in Montreal, and uh, this podcast is pretty much being there with us and hearing about what's happening in uh, in the studio. It's uh, your ticket to see how the sausage is made, how the video game sausage is made. It's a two-hander this week, or more of a four-hander, because there's two of us. It's a tag team. It's a tag team, yes. Like uh, Titus Kid and Cesaro tonight at Extreme Rules, we are a tag team, and... Uh, Here you're hearing Yannick Belzil, who is a uh, myself, who is a writer and uh, social media person here at Tribute. And in front of me, my tag team partner is your uh, axe to your smash. Yes, Justin Sear, game designer and animation. But there will be no demolition here. Only <laughs> building up and giving you. We're just going to be destroying uh, the boundaries of podcasting. Yes, and you know what? Destroying ignorance about what goes on <laughs> in indie studios. Here that, in Montreal. That's what we're about. Yes. Building knowledge, destroying nerds, tribute games. <laughs> Is that our new slug line? I think it should be now. I think it should. Uh, we should just make um, edutainment games <laughs> that are all just on the border of being mildly fun and filled with facts. Like uh, Mario is missing. We, oh. all, we all remember. You know, even as a kid... You can tell that there's something off-brand about Mario is missing. Like, mm. this new Mario game. Come. <laughs> But even then, that you sh title should tip you off. Mario is missing. <laughs> like, the fun is missing as well. Yeah, it's funny how even as a young kid, you can tell about brand recognition and something's kind of off with this one. This, this is a GoBot. <laughs> to, <laughs> not a Transformer. To be fair, did, did either of us even play that game? I have faint memories of a friend having rented it. Like, I felt like I knew better. Yeah. And, uh, but a friend of mine didn't and uh, rented, like, and, oh, maybe he's at the Eiffel Tower. <laughs> and then you get facts about the Eiffel Tower. But, you know, maybe it's just one of those things that keeps getting passed off as being a crappy game. Maybe if we actually play it, we'll find out this is a real hidden gem. Yeah, maybe Mario's Missing like, <laughs> is, is due for a revisit. Well, that's the end of our uh, Mario's Missing Missive uh, segment. I would love to go into a more uh, appropriate segment, which is about Curses and Chaos, Justin, which is uh, partly your, your your child. Yes. So um, we haven't done an episode in a couple of weeks ever since we came back from PAX. So um, we've been busy, but the, and uh, some people have told us they were missing the show. We are extremely glad about that, and we'll do try to do better in the future for scheduling and uh, recording more episodes. But the, the upside of this is that more stuff has happened, so maybe there's more stuff to talk about uh, this week. Exactly. So, uh, what's been happening in the last month for Curses and Chaos, Justin? Okay, so since we got back, uh, basically just trying to wrap it up. Yeah, uh, but let's say that this is the first episode of Summit Me, so oh. we will listen to this for the first time. So, what can you tell us about Curses and Chaos, your game, and what's been happening? Like okay, right, yeah. So, to, to sum it up, it's basically just like a single-screen uh, two-player arcade brawler. It's just waves and waves of enemies that come at you, and you do your best to survive. So that's the I best describe that game um, to say where we are with the progress. It was once made as it meant to be like it was meant to be like a very small game, but yeah, it came. It was coming out after Mercenary Kings. There was a decision to try to beef it up and add a little more to it, like a little more. Uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, well, t uh, honestly, this was gonna be our second game after Wizard mm -hmm. um, when we finished Wizorb, things were actually looking pretty grim for the studio and it wasn't looking like we were even maybe going to uh, release another game so we tried to do something very very quick and this was to be on uh, xna live indie arcade and 
is since grown <laughs> quite a bit because even that uh, that doesn't even exist anymore. Like uh, it was originally coded in XNA, and then we coded it with uh, mono games, and now we're rehauling the engine yet once more. So it's really gone through a lot of changes, and yes, it has been beefed up. Uh, we originally were just going to have like a little five level thing and the num- number of levels has even doubled. And then we got cool people on like Steph and Paul who were never, uh, intended to work on the game, but they, uh, they were gracious enough to lend their skill to it. So yeah, that's how the game grew. And of course, with the, you know, high standard that Mercenary Kings, uh, set, we had to do something that was going to be a little bit beefier than our original scope. So that's probably been the, the biggest challenge of the game is trying to keep it still small but uh, grow it without letting it grow out of control. I would say that's definitely been the biggest challenge of, of the game. Cool. And uh, what's been happening in the last month? Because you're saying that now you're pretty close to the end or at the end of the project? Yeah, like now it's just closing it. It's 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 finishing every task, so it's like no more content and just polishing everything. So we finished in the last month all the enemies, we finished all the background animations, we finished all the levels, and now it's just tweaking and polishing and uh, a lot of balancing too because the game the one thing that we did walk away from with the show is that the game is still brutally hard <laughs> which is also what we wanted to do because it being a smaller game you wanted to give something that would give players a bit of challenge because if it's only like an hour or two and it's not it's about i'd say about four or five hours mm-hmm. but you wouldn't want something pe- uh, players could just whip through so it is going to remain a challenging game but to find that sweet spot of challenging but not frustrating is uh, one of the biggest challenges of the game itself. Finished our animation backgrounds. Yeah, I'm just repeating myself now. <laughs> so that's where we're at. So what the, someone might be curious, like, what does that entail, um, polishing it and changing it? Like, how do you make a game less hard? Like, uh, what are you tweaking right now? Oh, you can do it in a number of ways. Um Like, I think the enemy collisions, that's like... Oh, this gets really technical fast. I gotta I feel like we have a, lis- a small <laughs> listenership that will love some of that technical stuff. All right. So please go for it. So, um, I guess, again, maybe some of the things that players still find a little bit unfair is enemies seem to be able to hit you a little bit uh, sooner than you'd expect. So, like, just going in and, like, shrinking their collision boxes. Because when you attack, you're actually, like, uh, throwing out projectiles. So, technically, you should never be, like, uh, melee attacking an enemy, even though it's, like, a, a, a brawler game. But just shrinking their hitboxes makes it so that you can hit the enemies before they have a chance to hit you. Mm-hmm. Uh, tweaking values, like bringing down their, their HP, uh, bringing up some of your damage, uh, sh- shrinking animation delays by even fractions of a second. Like, it's amazing how if you go in and just shave, like, 0.01 frames or 0.01 seconds of animation per frame on an attack, it makes all the world of difference. What does that change in an animation? So is it... Because something that happens when your character gets hit, if he, if the character hits the floor, like he jumps back and he flips back. So right. is it just the character gets up faster? Exactly. Yeah, it- yeah, yeah. So like even with the basic attacks, there was something like 0.04 uh, seconds of delay before the attack actually happens. And this gets pretty animation nerdy. But like every animation, you don't go straight into a move. You always have a bit of an anticipation before mm-hmm. the actual action. Yeah, But I wind up before the punch. Bingo. So by just shrinking it from like 0.04 to 0.02, being it's the main action that you do, you can actually 
you know, you, you're actually twice as fast. And it doesn't seem like a lot, but just these small, small, subtle changes makes a huge impact throughout the game. Yeah, so that's uh, just those kinds of tweaks could just connect the player way more to their character as they play, like, and which is what you want. Absolutely, yeah. So you want to find that sweet spot of everything feeling super, super responsive mm -hmm. and without breaking it too, because you can always have that danger of just tweaking it too much and then it's just like a cakewalk. So, mm -hmm. Uh, it, it's it's fun though, like that that's amazing, and it's a, it's probably one of the more satisfying parts of the job too. When you just go in and fine tune everything, but there's always like every production too. There's always a lot of surprises that come. Mm -hmm. I can't even think of ones that we were working on last week. Yeah, uh, Steph went in and changed our uh, our HUD. Like mm -hmm. that's the uh, heads up display, like all your interface for the game. So yeah. something that we were never planning on doing. <laughs> How are those changes like? They were really, really small, but it's still a thing where you have to kind of put a day aside and, and, and add them and stuff. And it did make the game, it always makes the game better too. And that's probably one of the biggest things about any game production. It's always what can we add without it being too much time for everybody to implement. So, uh, and everyone takes things to heart and everyone wants the best. So it's always gauging those things and saying like, well, we can do this and we can't do that. And even in his suggestions, we couldn't do all of them, but the ones we did made it a bit, bit more readable and clearer too. So it was fun. So yeah, the thing about the HUD, like maybe some people would be surprised that this late in the game, like it has to be changed. But the thing is, when we're all working on a game, it's such a forest for the trees mm -hmm. situation. We're so used to everything that's in it. Sometimes we might not realize that eh, that thing is not that clear. The energy gauge is yeah. not that clear and stuff like that. So you sometimes you just discover new stuff like that. Yeah, and sometimes it's it's just a whim too, where mm -hmm. suggestions are just different but not better. And in this case, we kind of just thought, well, for for as subtle as the, the suggestion was, it's worth at least giving it a shot. So I'm always I'm probably a little bit more too eager to want to do do suggestions when they're possible, but. Mm -hmm. Uh, knowing where to kind of put your foot down is something that, uh, I think it's a learned skill, I have to hope. Yeah, like, you, you have to, it's a, a, being a manager, as you're, you uh, have to be a manager as well, so. Blech. Does it mean I have to put on a tie? Yes, but you can still wear a t-shirt, though. You can wear the tie every way you like, because you're a manager, but you still have to wear the tie, because it denotes power. Sold. Is there anything else about curses, uh, that, uh, you can tell us, or that has been happening recently, and, uh, um, oh yeah, in the last couple of weeks, we did do uh, some fun promotion. We went to Miss Your Net, you and I did. Yes, yes, we went to, uh, if you are one of our Francophones listeners, you might know uh, Miss Your Net being like, it's this big um, a podcast uh, slash radio web show. It's uh, even on Twitch, uh, hosted by Denis Talbot, who's like a really nice guy, and, uh, and a, a, a titan, a monolith. A fixture. A, a fixture of... of uh, of tech talk and tech journalism and tech slash entertainment journalism here in uh, Quebec, like he's been for years and years and years. And it was really fun to go on this show and talk about curses and talk about uh, going to packs and stuff like that. So yep. good times. And we actually went all the way out into, again, for Montrealers, out to Longueuil. Deep, deep <laughs> Longueuil. It was a lot of fun. Yep. Yeah. I was quite jealous of his setup too. Like we, you know, we're just starting our podcast, but when you looked at his, it was like, man, yeah, it was someday. A, it was a... Media nest that he had, like with Philip stuff. Yep. So that was a lot of fun. So do, doing a lot of doing some that PR stuff is a lot of fun. I I like it. Uh, so I hope I get to do more for uh, for curses when it comes out. Can you do you see the light at the end of the tunnel? Can you see? <laughs> of uh, course, yeah. Curses uh, finish up. Oh yeah, that's. Uh, I mean, it's it's really gone. Uh, over all time budgets that we ever planned. Uh, again, going with the theme that. 
it was always meant to just be a smaller game. That's been the constant struggle is just knowing how to grow it without it going out of hand. But, um, yeah, it's, yeah, it's definitely, I mean, it's, we've been saying that now for like the last couple of months, but it's still true. It's still just about ready to be, uh, to be done. But I think one last pass of, uh, tweaking and balancing once the last of, um, the content has been finally polished will be mm. ready to go. And then we also have to submit to Sony and stuff and go through all our TRCs regular development stuff so yeah, yeah it's fun but it, it is a slog i mean at some point every job becomes monotony no matter how great so it's finding that motivation that's always uh always the trickiest but yeah yeah and at home if you, you heard the term trc you don't know what that is is a technical requirement compliance and it's uh something that, uh, that you you get sent like a bible by a software company like sony or Uh, in another case, it would be Nintendo or uh, Microsoft. They are um, technical requirements that if you don't meet them, the game simply does not get published unless they specially waive it for you. Mm. And sometimes not complying to these uh, requirements can cost you a lot of money. So <laughs> before sending those, it's really important to make sure all of that is on the up and up. And that's why you hire QA people as they do the uh, thankless work of making sure that all of all that is above board. Uh, aside of that, what has been... Uh, well, we recently learned a, a bit of a, of a story is um, recently there was a fire in our building. <laughs> and uh, so we left like for an afternoon and we did not uh, worry about it at all. And uh, what happened is what we discovered a couple of weeks later or this week is that when there was a fire... Uh, the alarm sounded in the whole building. We left for an afternoon. There was a fire on the ninth floor, but um, there was something particular about that fire on the ninth floor. And uh, Justin, do you know what that is? It was a meth lab. Yeah. <laughs> so it, we Tribute Games is here is uh, settled in uh, a pretty nice uh, Montreal neighborhood. Yep. A lot of art in it. It's it's an arty neighborhood. It's a so, hipster haven. Yeah, it's a hipster haven. And uh, some people, so you. You'd imagine that everyone's nice between these walls, but uh. we, we discovered that uh, we, we had upstairs neighbors that were uh, cooking meth, <laughs> and uh, when it caught fire, they, they had to throw all of their stuff through the window, and they, uh, they've absconded with the, the last of their product, and apparently maybe some firearms. I mean, I remember that day, because uh, me and John went on, on break around three o'clock, and then as we come back, we hear the fire alarm. We're like, oh, okay, routine fire alarm. Kind of... Smells like smoke. What What's going on? We look out the window. Up on the ninth floor, we see smoke pouring out. We're like, oh, wow, this really is a fire. Everyone get out fine. We find out later, meth fire. Meth fire. <laughs> the worst kind. Yes, exactly. But, you know, when that happened, uh, uh, Stefan and uh, Dom and I went to uh, our one of the neighborhood bars called Bishop and Bags, and we did some brainstorming for Space Pirates. So it, not all is lost. Well, most of what is lost is the... Meth Just the meth, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that meth empire's uh, lab location, but so what? You know what, though? Earlier in the year, on our floor, because we're on the fifth floor, someone got busted for, like, growing marijuana. Mm -hmm. It always smelt of pot for a while, and then, yeah, they got busted. So that's two drug busts in our building in yeah, the year. One one gentler than the other. <laughs> So yeah, that's that's the glamour of uh, indie game development. Sometimes you just don't know what kind of building you end up in. End up in, but uh, as far as I know, it's safe. I mean, except for the fires, but whatever. Yeah. Um, so what else have we? Uh, oh, what else have we been up to? Given and I, the only one this table uh, 
representing Team uh, Space Pirate, as I've mentioned before, which is our upcoming game after Gurses in Chaos. Uh, we've been working on this a lot in the last month. It's been uh, going really well, because now uh, uh, Steph, who's our concept artist and uh, our background uh, artist and... All-round art wizard. Yes, yes, he's really good. Now he's knows, now he's done with uh, Curses and Chaos. He drew all the, of the endings and uh, the openings as well. He had to, like, sort of code the endings as well, to do the animation, stuff like that. Uh, it's just integration. Integration that seemed to be really long. Anyways, um, now that he's done with that, he can, uh, he has uh, opt on Project Space Pirate and has started to draw up uh, creatures and uh, other designs for uh, bad guys and background stuff and stuff like that. And it's really cool. I f- we finally feel like the, um, well, the project was already moving because uh, Johan's working on it and uh, Andy's working on it and uh, Dom's working on it. So, so, but now I feel like it's uh, coalescing into something that has even more shape and looks even more. So soon we'll, it feels really promising that we'll have some sort of a sizable, like, uh, vertical slice of the game. If uh, you don't know what a vertical slice is, is a uh, pretty much, it's a, a sample of the game. It's like a fully functional level that has all of your game, gameplay stuff in it. So that can be an example and be shown to anyone, uh, that, it, What's the game like? Like if you sliced into a cake and you saw the layers. Exactly. The delicious, uh, scrumptious layers of the cake and of this game. If Space Pirates were a cake, what cake would it be? Well, I'm, well, right now it's not done yet. So it's just flour and there's a pot of icing that seems delicious and, uh, eggs, cake mix, uh, batter, butter. Butter? Uh, I don't know what else is there. If it's a carrot cake, there's carrots, I assume. Besides, I don't know. I'm a poor cook. I'm a poor cake man. Sorry, uh, people at home. Curses uh, and chaos. Pound cake. Pound cake? Because you're pounding <laughs> those zombies in the face. Those monsters in the face. So, yeah. And uh, for me, the game is re- it's really fun because, um, as you mentioned, uh, Curses and Chaos was born a long time ago. And when I got to work at Tribute, um, like, most of Mercenary Kings, like, half way of mercenary game was halfway so it's the first time in a long time because i've i've worked at other uh comp- other companies in the past and on other games but i've it's for the first time i really feel on the, the ground floor as a game is getting built is uh being made and it's a lot of fun and uh what's been really exciting for me is that uh as a writer i finally get to do some uh actual like world building that shapes the universe that we're creating the hopefully the fun universe that we're creating for the game and maybe influencing art design and uh art direction for the game like i'm not drawing anything but i do get to think up of a character or of ideas for levels that are then put to our wonderful artists and then they they either (laughs) they either trash it which is fine or they just make it better and they spin it in their own directions. It's funny as well because right now, because we're really making a vertical slice, like a workable, more workable version of the game, I don't have to write all that much, so I have to think up of other stuff to do. So, but otherwise it's going well. But I guess you've seen both sides of it where you've worked on projects where a lot has been done already for you and mm-hmm. you're just doing a lot of like brute work, like scripting and text. Mm-hmm. Now that you've, and I, I think there's probably pros and cons to both things. In one, you don't have to think about so much of the world building, which is the more fun part of it. But if it's just like raw footwork, like, uh, um, you don't have to, you, you probably just get to like 
produce a lot of work. Does that make sense? Um, yeah, uh, it's it's two things. Like for Mercenary Kings, um, there was a lot of stuff already uh, established, established, but it, I was free to write whatever I wanted. So for me, what was interesting was that uh, trying to connect connect the dots on the different things uh, that were already in the game and as well as uh, trying to find connections and uh, link stuff together and create um, a bit of backstory and uh, really character for the NPCs and stuff because you don't, in Mercenary Kings, you, our main characters don't really have a personality but the the, the way ever their enemies and the way the NPCs are drawn, they have a lot of more, they have much more personality so creating dialogue for them and finding out who they are and stuff like that that was really interesting to me and that was a lot of fun but for space pirate like i'm working with all of the other guys and we think up stuff and we have a different we have a basic ideas of we wanted to be pirate team but in space and you wanted a bit the spooky and we want all that uh, uh, naval uh, mythology oh, cool. uh, stuff happening in there so we have a bit of an idea, but it can go in so many ways that trying to find what's going to be the appropriate thing to to have story and I, visuals and ideas to come out of that is trickier. Like I can imagine uh, it would probably be maybe similar to like if you were writing for like an established franchise, like if you were writing for Batman as mm -hmm. opposed to coming up with a new uh, IP. Yeah. Like they would both have a separate set of challenges, but there's probably advantages to working on something that's already been started too well sometimes i really envy people who get to do that because i feel that so much uh, work is done for you but at the same time if you are working on a batman comic there's been so many batman adventures that you have to think of what's the next new batman adventure or what is different for a Batman adventure? Because it's all of it. It's been seemed like it's been done. Or like, how do you reinvent the Joker? Yeah, <laughs> you know what would be great to how to reinvent the Joker? Grills? Um, not as much grills, but have him have a lot of terrible tattoos. <laughs> have him covered in tattoos that the real Joker would go, what? So you're you're not at all a fan of the Jared Leto uh, rock star Joker. I think his tattoos are really dumb. I think they look like someone that wants to be uh, employed by the Joker mm. would show the Joker, like, check out my tattoos, I love you. And the Joker would do something terrible to him. He, right. he would, like, scrape them off with, some, with blades or something and laugh about it. I feel like if the idea that the Joker has tattoos... Hey, has, Jim Lee did it. Jim Lee did it, and but it was like a weird Yakuza thing, mm -hmm. and that's pretty cheesy, but it makes the Joker sort of weirder and odder to add them. Yeah. The fact that the Joker has Joker tattoos on him... <laughs> it's a little too meta. It's too... It's really dumb. And you know, the, the some of the ha-ha-has are taken straight from Arkham Asylum and some of them from Killing Jokes. Like, they straight-up copied lettering right. from some comics I can immediately, like, recognize, which I understand the idea. Mm. But, again, I think it's super, super dumb. The fact yeah. that he has smiling uh, mouths on his arms or in hands, I, like... The Joker would not do that because his, <laughs> his, his best uh, smile is the one that he's on his face when right. he's killing someone. Tattoos on a Joker? Yes. 
And having those tattoos, no, <laughs> it's not, it's not my uh, saying, but I saw someone else online say it's like someone uh, in a band wearing their own band's T-shirt. Right. Okay. Uh, that and it's it's sort of lame. Yeah. And okay. Also, I feel like again, in the, that'll be a short Joker update because. Oh no! This is this is the most this we're running with this. Yes, this is uh, it'll come out on Monday, so it's still current. The the thing about the. Um, is again in this neighborhood one person out of three has a sleeve has tattoos yep. we we see tattoos all the time mm -hmm. and on that joker picture i get the feel that we're supposed to think like isn't it crazy that this guy has tattoos mm. but I, i see people with tattoos every day no. I, i i don't care yeah now you know how like people probably actually got heath ledger joker tattoos on them yeah do you think they'd get like a tattoo of that joker with tattoos on i think they're tripling <laughs> down on it they're they're either counting on it or they're thinking let's simplify it so they have tattoos to already put, done yeah to, to oh okay put on themselves so then they can be they can do the cosplaying easier maybe exactly that's, i have to say though the the skull with the jester hat which is So cheesy. It's pretty juggalo. That's straight up <laughs> dark <laughs> carnival. Uh, shout out to the dark carnival, by the way. I hope the gathering is a great gathering for you this year. <laughs> Be safe in cave and rock, please. Yeah. Have a liter of fago on us. <laughs> Fucking magnets. Yeah, yeah. It's all great. I just, I just think that again. <laughs> He looks like a Joker fanboy, not the actual Joker. Right. Okay. Well, see, that's the grills, though. I like because I mean, you've seen pictures of Ben Affleck as Batman. Mm -hmm. If he punches you in the face, that Batman is breaking your jaw and your teeth. So you know, the grill maybe he's replacing <laughs> bat removed teeth. He's so, had work done. Yeah, he, he had to. <laughs> uh, but you know what? If he says that he has uh, smile tattoos on his arms, was is in case that Batman breaks all of his teeth, then then I'm then I'm okay with it. I'm down with that. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I'm 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 actually kind of okay with it. I mean, the point you brought up is pretty good. Like, it seems like a Joker fanboy kind of thing, yeah. but. It all of this reminds me of a lot of the backlash from the first reveal of the Heath Ledger Joker, where mm -hmm. people were like, eh, and, you know, it was all in the execution. But to keep it in video games, do you remember like a uh, an unveiling of a new look of our uh, character, a video game thing that people like, like let's say in the spirit of Heath Ledger, that pe people sure. were not sure or rebelled against, and once it came out, people were not down with it. Because hmm. I remember maybe it was like for Metroid Prime, people were not down with oh, being yeah. like first person. Yeah, that's right. That was a bit too much of a of um, a change. And then when it finally did come out, people really did embrace it. So yeah, I think that's totally possible. That in the same effect that you know people are initially appalled by something, and then they'll just. I th I feel like I remember too that people a lot of people were not down with. Wind Waker Link cartoon look. Oh, I think that was pretty split. Yeah. I think there was like people that absolutely loved it and people that hated it. And you know what? It's still that way. I think most people are pretty split with the look of that. Yeah, because I think there was a demo of a more realistic teen adult Link and some people went nuts for that. And when when Waker Link came out, a lot of people were not down with it. Yeah. So that's our Joker digression. Yeah, our Joker digression. So, but still, at first I really disliked it. Now I'm just indifferent, but mm. at first I was like, I guess I'm really rooting for Batman to punch that dude now, sure. more than ever. <laughs> but see, I think also, like, every interpretation of the Joker has been so unique. Like, mm -hmm. you had, like, the gangster, um, 
Jack Nicholson. Mm-hmm. You had the anarchist Heath Ledger, and then you've got the full-on rock star. Yeah, I don't think, again, you're saying, oh, he's like the rock star joker and he has tattoos. I'm like, oh, I'm less of a, why not? But the fact that his tattoos, <laughs> get it? I'm the joker. There's ha ha ha. There's a skull with a, a jester hat. Right. And I'm like, oh, oh no. It's, I feel like it's trying too hard. Like, If he had, like, weirder tattoos or... You know what? If he had uh, uh, Robins, but the bird... Right. A bunch of dead Robins tattooed on him, I would think that's creepy and awesome. And maybe he killed a Robin in the past or he wished he could kill Robin or stuff like that. Mm. Or maybe if he even had, like, a a crazy Batman tattoo, Mm. he would be like... Ooh, what that's the kind of fuck is up. <laughs> what is up with that? You know, if it was something else, I would like it. But the the ha ha idea is pretty silly. Jeez, I'm <laughs> you're dehydrated after that. Jeez, we had a couple of questions recently, yeah. so I suggest that we go into those. Do it. If you have questions for us uh, in the future, you can send them to us uh, by email. Uh, info at tributegames.com, uh, or you can just uh, send us send them to us on Twitter at tributegames. Uh, we have one from Randy Vandervlag, which is, who is not unknown to us, Justin. He's a, he's an old uh, friend and a studio mate of us, yeah, right? Former, uh, um, schoolmate. Uh, me, Mike, and Randy all went to school together. Nice. So he's, uh, he's, um, he's on Twitter at Randy Vandervlag. He's a great artist. So follow him up and see what, see what he, he's up to. He doesn't tweet a lot, but he tweeted to us, which is great. Um, he wants to know, like, what are the lesser known and obscure games that you have played and love? Okay, uh, I think just the first thing that comes to mind is something like Godhand and PNO3. Mm-hmm. Uh, both were made, let's see, one was made by Capcom and the other one was made by former Capcom people that left to make Clover, which eventually became Platinum Studios. Uh, Godhand is just straight off the wall bonkers. It's a beat em up. But it's really, really, really quirky. Uh, I find like I'm just, I always gravitate towards that stuff, like the black sheep of any series. Mm-hmm. It's really, really funky. Like the moves are just over the top. Like you, you know, you have this magical glowing hand and you just pummel enemies into submission. Then you like summon a baseball bat and then you knock them into the sky. Like it, it's not serious at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and the fantasy th- uh, setting is kind of good, but I think the other thing I liked is the game is really, really rough. Like I love a super triple A polish, uh, game, but this game is so just bare bones kind of thing. Like there's some very glaring, um, sort of technical issues with it. Like your peripheral vision cuts off pretty quick. Like you'll see a building when you're facing it straight on, but at the minute it's more than like out of your peripheral, it completely disappears. So like you have whole large geometry structures just popping in and out of the scenery. And that's something that some people probably would complain about. Or like, you know, when you walk to the edge of a world, but there's nothing blocking you Mm -hmm. and you just kind of like walk up to an invisible wall. There's a lot of that. But I find it's kind of refreshing to play a game that's so rough. If it's fun, Mm -hmm. it's nice to see like it's just sort of like the bare bones minimum. And the game itself is very experimental. So yeah, God hand, that's my vote. Yeah, and uh, you mentioned Piano Troy and uh Piano Tree, and I think I remember for a while you were really looking for it high and low, right? Uh yeah, it was harder to find. I think it had a, a pretty limited run because it was completely panned. Uh, both games were, by the way. They were games that I think got like, you know, two out of ten or one out of ten. And they're both great. Like it's it's weird how sometimes you can just love something that's completely dismissed by the public at large. But the, both games have a, a pretty strong cult following. Uh, Piano 3, I 
think was made by Shinji Mikami of Resident Evil fame. And it's just like this futuristic uh, woman cyborg lady who runs through these robotic barren landscapes. And it has like a very cool like techno music uh, theme. Uh, both in the look and like kind of the, the, the music and the styling of it. It's just such a weird, funky, cool game. Uh, I love it big time. It has very old school appeal. Like you play for points and, uh, it's very both, both, mm, piano three is a little bit harder than God hand, but they're both, uh, challenging things, which is something I always gravitate towards as well. So those are my two votes. Mm-hmm. How about you? Um, there's one thing I, uh, one game that I really like. I guess I really like because it's based on uh, off a movie I really like, but it was never, it never came out here, which was uh, Super Back to the Future 2 uh, <laughs> for the Super Nintendo. And, but it only came out in Japan. So, uh, the gameplay of it, uh, it's, it's pretty much a, a Sonic game, but it's Marty on the overboard. Marty Markfly is on the overboard and you're just like playing to the, the, uh, uh Future Hill Valley and Past Hill Valley and stuff like that. The, um, the sprite, the, there are super deformed sprites of Michael J. Fox, uh, of, of Marty, Doug Brown, Lorraine, uh, the DeLorean, that are, uh, Biff, everyone that is so well done and super cute. I, I've played it a lot. I don't think it's really good because already Sonic is already like a tough thing to pull off and a Sonic clone even harder mm. but there's such a charm to that uh, translation to that adaptation that I really like it and if if nothing else go check out the sprite sheet maybe you're better off just checking out the sprite <laughs> sheet <laughs> but they're great they're so cute and well done like I and um yeah that's one of my big ones otherwise I I'm not that kind of player goes really deep into and go plays like unheralded game. I'm pretty mainstreaming in the, the the thing I'm playing. Like the most recent thing I'm playing right now is uh is uh Shovel Knight. So I don't. Oh yeah. Have, yeah. How are you I, liking it? I'm liking it a lot, but I'm realizing that uh, I my platforming muscles have atrophied. <laughs> I'm having a tough time with it, but I really enjoy it. It's, cool. It's really good. It's so uh like I can't say anything that how already been already been said and done about this game. It's uh it just sim- it's uh in simplicity that it's perfectly implemented. Did you um uh, get through a couple levels where you had the uh, little bonfire cutscene? Ah uh, yeah, I finished the first level. The the thing about the bubble and trying to catch her. Yeah. That and you wake up from a dream. And yeah. you, the, the way it creates longing and wishing a dream was real. The way they were able to implement that in video game cutscene yeah. gameplay is amazing. It's so well done. We, I think a while ago we, we were talking about like just uh, storytelling in games and how you can do a lot even without a lot of text or none at all. I think that is a prime example of some amazing storytelling. Ethan Cook at Cook Ethan 88 asks, do you think uh, local co-op is still relevant? Wow. I guess he means like couch co-op? I imagine so, yeah. Um, I think so. I mean, I hope so, because all of my uh, more fun game experiences have always been playing with people. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that for you, outside of Monster Hunter, you don't really outside or online play or long distance play, really. Uh, I I generally don't, but the, you know what? That's a prime example. Uh, my my fonder memories of playing Monster Hunter were when we played like Jonathan, Kim, uh, Mariel, and Paul, myself, just like the four of us in a room. Uh, After all that time from being far apart, like when you all actually get yeah. together, that's an actual Monster Hunting. Yeah, game. that was exactly and. With the one we're playing now, that's proving to be a harder challenge is just getting people, um, 
all synced up because some people are in LA, some people Montreal, some people Australia. I mean, just to find a time zone that works for everybody online, it's proving to be like a, a huge challenge. And then, of course, you know, sometimes your your uh, connection gets dropped, so it's not very reliable. I also played um, Dark Souls 2. I played Dark Souls 1 just single, but then I played Dark Souls 2 online just playing with faceless strangers. You know, they could almost be NPCs, like mm -hmm. CPU-controlled. It's good. Like, you, you, you probably couldn't not do any online, but, yeah, between the two, I'd definitely pick Couch Co-op. So just from a personal point of view, I'd have to say yes, but... Yeah, it's it's as relevant as you want to make it to be if you have a lot of people to play with or if that's an habit you have. Like, there is just something to me about uh, local co-op and playing with other people that's just... That's the, the best way to uh, share video games as far as I'm concerned. I think maybe the one thing that probably needs to be addressed when designing things for, like, local co-op is the jump in, jump out uh, mechanic of how, like, that works. I find, like, generally people, you know, have shorter attention spans and they want things, like, right away. They don't want to put up with, you know, a yeah, lot of... Yeah, you can get in at next level and stuff like that. Yeah, or, like, oh, you have to wait your turn until we get to this point. So I f think if you want to do, like, really good local uh, co-op, it's probably just design it in a way that allows for people to jump in, jump out, and it doesn't really break the game in any uh, meaningful way. And we have a last question from Anthony uh, Valunas at uh, Moraduke. Uh, asks us, uh, well, tells us like uh, that Mercenary King looks really cool and uh, they would love it to be on Xbox One. Any chance of it being ported there in the future? Um, we would love it. We would love for it to go on Xbox One, but that doesn't seem too likely. Um, the issue for that is that, as far as I know, Xbox One and Microsoft like their games to have exclusives and the new stuff that is exclusive to the console. And uh, Mercenary Kings, for us, uh, we want to keep it as is. Uh, we were able to finance it through Kickstarter, and we I feel like at the company, we don't want to create a version of Mercenary Kings that doesn't have stuff that people already played the game and uh, the people who already own the game should have the same stuff as everybody else. I and mean, we don't want to create a version that has more stuff that the uh, previous buyers, even people who bid on it, who uh, boosted us, could not get. So it's probably why it might not make it to Xbox One unless that changes. We'll ask all our fans and see if they're cool with it. Exactly. I, we'd have to ask people, but even then, I think we'd all feel a bit weird about that. Yeah. Unless they give us lots of money. Yeah. So much money. <laughs> How much money? I don't know. $4,000. $4,000? Can you dream? <laughs> um, <laughs> That's the biggest amount I can think of. I can't even count past. We will wrap it up for this week. Justin, where can we find you on the internet? Justin underscore Sear, C-Y-R. Yes, uh, all, not every day, but a couple of times a week you post like uh, um, some art, some pixel art. Like you draw uh, ladies' faces in, in pixel and you do grids like that. Yeah, I've been doing just uh, women's portrait studies in the MSX palette. Yes. So that every morning, check that out. Not every morning, but quite often. I like to, pretty cool. Yeah, I like to try and do it once a week. So, okay, so yeah, you can check that out at Justin Sear. Uh, you can find me at Yannick Belzil on Twitter. I don't tweet all that much in English, but uh, you can talk to me and I'll answer. And I'll make an effort to tweet more in English. Generally, it's pretty much silly stuff, and that is pretty much it for us. As for this wonderful company, uh, Tribute Games, you can find us at Tribute Games on the Twitter, and uh, you can write us at in, uh, info at tributegames.com. Our games that are currently available on the market are 
Mercenary Kings and Wizard. Please go buy them for all the different platforms. And uh, that's pretty much it. Thanks for listening. And uh, we'll make sure to talk at you really soon. Bye, everybody.